Thank you, worship team. What a wonderful job. Hallelujah. I thank God for what he's doing in this church, and I thank God for what he's been doing through this series. It's been incredible. We've been at this series now since Easter, and um, I wanted to just give you a quick recap on what we've hit since Easter, what we've been talking about. I want to catch you up because I'm going to wrap this thing up today. Amen. We're going to move on to the next thing. In week one, we recognize we're talking about winning within. Winning within. And in week one, we recognize that the devil is not our problem. We are. Jesus came and on the cross, what we celebrated on Easter was that Jesus overcame the enemy once and for all. Made a mockery out of him, an embarrassment out of him. And he said these words, it is finished. And Jesus came not to get you to heaven, but to get heaven to earth. I'll say that again. Jesus did not come to get you to heaven. I know that that's our knee-jerk reaction when people ask us, why did Jesus come? What was Jesus' purpose? He did not come to get you to heaven. I'm not saying you won't go to heaven. I'm saying that that was not his initial purpose. Going to heaven is a byproduct of what Jesus ultimately came to do. Jesus came to give you access by uh, giving you keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. Ultimately, Jesus came to restore Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 back to man. In Genesis 1 verse 26, we're on day 6 now of creation and God creates man, forms man out of the dust of the ground and it says that he created man in his image and in his likeness. That's to look like him, function like him. So that means that the way God talks is how we were supposed to talk. The way God thinks is how we were supposed to think. The way God responds to things is how we were designed to respond to things. And so God created us in his image, in his likeness. And when man sinned, when he fell, when he disobeyed the word of the king and ate from the tree that he was commanded not to, He didn't lose access to heaven because you can't lose access to something you didn't have. He didn't lose access to being in heaven because Adam and Eve were not walking around on this earth saying, when is Jesus coming? When's he going to break through those clouds? I just can't wait to be on the gold streets with Jesus, with God and and, and, in heaven. And where's my mansion? They weren't thinking like we think. They were interested in getting heaven to earth. Enacting God's will in heaven on earth. And that's why Jesus, when he prayed and he taught his disciples to pray, he said, this is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come and your will be done on earth. As it is in heaven, even there was an instance in John chapter 17 when Jesus was praying and he prayed this about you and I. And I know you're going to be angry and upset about it. But he said, Father, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. See. Jesus knew. Removing man from the earth. Will not accomplish the purpose for which you sent me. You came. To restore your kingdom to me. And I came to bring this kingdom. I came as a king to bring this kingdom from heaven 
to earth. So when Jesus died on that cross, he gave you access once again back to the kingdom that we once had access to before. And so when we walk around this earth heavenly minded, and what I mean by that is thinking about how to get to heaven. I saw a church had a thing up in their foyer, a quote that said, the goal is not to get to heaven. They started out good. Said the goal was not to get to heaven. And then they said, it's to take as many people with you as you can. Which I understand. That's great. Yeah. Share and witness what God has done for you so that when we all die or if Jesus comes one way or the other, we make it to heaven. But it should have said the goal is not to get to heaven. The goal is to bring heaven. To earth. What if we walked around every day with that mindset? So we recognized in week number one that the devil is not your problem. We are. It's this flesh versus spirit. It's this old man versus the new man. It's this battle that we wage daily. These temptations, these struggles, these sins, these weights, these burdens, these pressures. It's the trials and tribulations of life. That is what causes people to feel like they are in a battle daily. Daily. It's us. Week two, we went ahead and took a hold of condemnation. And we said that if the devil can't attack who you are, he will attack who you think you are. And so condemnation is an attack on your mentality and an attack on your mind because you will never rise to the level that God has created you. You will never rise to the level that God wants you to live at if you don't think you're at that level. And many of God's people and many believers are bound by condemnation. And therefore, they forfeit everything that God has made available to them. God wants to change our condemnation to confidence. And condemnation robs us of all the things that God has already made available to us. And when we're condemned, we don't go to church. And when we're condemned, we don't hang around other believers. And when we're condemned, we don't read the word of God because all it does is it just makes us more feel more condemned. And so we've got to handle this condemnation issue. We've got to. Jesus took care of who you are. Now we have to take care of who we think we are. Amen. That was week two. Week three, we talked about roots and fruit. We talked about if you want to work on the stuff on the outside, you've got to start by working on the stuff on the inside. And he pointed out to the uh, people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, whitewashed tombs. He's he's saying you, you work so hard on the outside, but yet you're still a tomb. There's still dead stuff on the inside. A tomb is not recognized. A grave is not recognized for what it holds or for what's on the outside. It's recognized for what's on the inside. And we can pressure wash that thing on the outside. We can decorate it. You can do all you want to the outside of a tomb. It's still a tomb. It's still a grave. It's still containing dead stuff. And he's talking about these Pharisees. And he says that many will come to me uh, in the last day and say, Lord, Lord, did I not? And talk about all the external stuff. And he'll say, depart from me because I never knew you. You never even bothered to try to develop a relationship with me. That's what that word no means. God isn't interested in your performance. He's interested in your position. Your position is greater than your performance. 
Your position is greater than your performance. And so we saw that in week three. Week four, we talked about running on empty. We saw the widow woman. No, not the widow woman, but we saw the woman at the well in John chapter four. Jesus has this conversation with this uh, woman that uh, naturally and figuratively is running to all these wells to try to supply her confidence and her value and her worth. And so uh, it's, a, it's a resemblance, it's a sign of what we run to in life to try to feed us. But the problem is, is eventually those wells run dry. And Jesus says, you don't need another well. You don't need a bucket. He said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would have asked me for living water and I would have given it to you. He said, I want to switch out your well for a spring. I want a spring on the inside rather than a well on the outside. You don't have to run to people. You don't have to run to comfort. You don't have to run to food. You don't have to run to finance. You don't have to run to jobs. I can bring up within you a spring that will spring up and you'll never have to live dictated and determined by what's around you because you'll learn to live by what's within you. So if we're going to learn to win within, we've got to quit running to wells to try to feed us what God is trying to get to us. So we need a spring on the inside. In week five, we saw a man with a legion of demons. And we recognized, and I'm just giving you an essence here. If you've missed these messages Uh, It would be uh, very much uh, to your encouragement to go online and get these messages. They are all available for you. Uh, uh, The man with the legion of demons, it said there that the men in the town, the townspeople, tried to bind him. They would try to chain him up. They would try to restrict him. But they were unable to. It said that he broke all the chains. But then Jesus shows up, and for the first time in this man's life, this man is confronted by someone that is not trying to chain him up, but trying to set him free. We saw that it is not by adding more religious practice and more chains and more restrictions that causes you to overcome in life, but it's by setting free the man on the inside, the man inside of you that has already been brought to life, the new man. When we set him free, you won't have to pile on all these restrictions and you'll come to find. See, there's a lot of people that read this Bible and they even come to church and and they do good things only out of duty and only out of assignment, only out of responsibility and only out of task. Not because they love the Lord, but because they're trying to get their life right. And God is trying to show us that on your best efforts and your best intentions, you will always fail. But when you accept what I have made available for you, it will set you free to where the things that used to bind you, you can now be free in those things. So now you can read the word and it sets you free and you can go to church and it sets you free rather than it restricting you and keeping you tied up. I mean, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they... They did all these things. They knew the law. They even tried to trap Jesus. They, they tried to trap the word with the word. Because he's the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. They're trying to trap, trap Jesus with the very thing that he knows best. 
but with wrong motives. With wrong motives. So that doesn't mean that we can see God still has a standard. What did he say to that woman that was caught uh, in the act of adultery? And they brought her out and they tried to stone her. And, and he said, uh, any of you that has never sinned, you cast the first stone. Obviously, they all had to put their stones down. He goes up to the woman. He says, where are your accusers? I have none. And neither do I accuse you. Neither do I condemn you. But he still said, go and sin no more. There's still a standard. There is still a way that we are expected to live. We're not throwing off all this restraint and, and, and saying, now I can do whatever I want. Now I can do what God wants me to do for the right reasons. Because doing what God wants me to do for the wrong reasons only hurts me. It does not help me. And so there are restrictions. There are things that God meant for good that we have turned to cause us harm. And so we've got to be set free. And then last week, we saw that there was a master, there was a gardener, and there was a, a vineyard. And this master comes to the gardener of a, of a vineyard. It's the master's vineyard. He says, I planted this tree over here, this fig tree, and for three years I've expected fruit off of it. I'm not getting anything. Get rid of it. Cut it down. Why is it using up the ground? Why does it take up ground? And we recognize that even though that sounds harsh and even though that sounds mean, like all that Jesus cares about is the ground. He doesn't even care about me. He just cares about, uh, you know, what I'm producing. He just wants my fruit. He doesn't even really care about who I am. We find that the vineyard is what really gives you value. The thing that God has planted you in is what determines the value or the worth that you bring. And so God can't allow us to remain in places not bearing fruit because instead of taking ground for the kingdom, we're using up ground for the kingdom. We ask the question, are we taking ground or are we taking space? We just taking up space here or are we taking ground and advancing and progressing and growing and developing to produce what God wants us to produce? So we saw that the master has an expectation of production. But what does he say? The gardener responds. He says, "I, I, I see that he doesn't make excuses. He doesn't blame the environment or blame the vineyard or, or, or blame the tree. He says, just, just give me one more year. Here's what I'm going to do. Just give me one more year. I'm going to dig around it, and I'm going to fertilize it. So the problem appeared at the fruit, but the gardener goes to the root, winning within, winning within. If your life's not producing fruit, you don't, we're not talking about behavior modification. We're not talking about, let me just start saying the right things, start doing. The, no, you got to take care of it on the inside. You're going to have to do some digging. And then uh, he says, and I'm going to fertilize it. I was talking with Travis about that earlier this week. He's spent some time in agriculture and he says uh, what they called that was give it special attention. I like that. I like that. We need to give special attention to the things that we need to work on in our lives. That fertilizer, uh, that's not stuff that we love to play with. That's not, you don't go play in the fertilizer. That's gross. One version calls it manure. Another version calls it dung. You can come up with other, whatever nasty words you want to come up with. It doesn't make it any better. 
But God wants to use those things that we don't want to get the results that he does want. So we've got to be sure to dig around, get to the dirt, get to the root and fertilize it. Give it special attention. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 14. I've already started to read out of here. 1 Samuel chapter 14. Today I want to talk about the sweetness of spoils. The sweetness of spoils. The sweetness of spoils. Sweetness of spoils. First Samuel chapter 14 and verse 24. It starts and it says, And the men of Israel were distressed that day. Let me do this first. Uh, if we have any military active or veteran, would you please stand in this room today? Come on, let's give it up for our military. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for your sacrifice. Got one more in the back. Jason's working, serving today. Thank you for your sacrifice. And uh, this day, um, you know, I, I know that we say things like Happy Memorial Day, Happy Memorial Day weekend, but the only reason we can call it a Happy Memorial Day is because it's unhappy for someone else. It's a sacrifice for those that have lost their lives for this country, given their lives, rather. And the sacrifices of the spouses, sacrifices of the children, sacrifices of the moms and dads, brothers and sisters. And so we honor you today for your sacrifice and your service to this country. We are greatly appreciative of all that you do uh, for our country, especially with the military that we have right here in our own community. And... Um, you know, I'm sorry that the recognition and the value for what you do in today's day and age hasn't been as valuable as it ought to be and as welcomed as it ought to be. I will always stand for the anthem and I will always stand for the flag and I will always pledge allegiance to this country. And I pledge my allegiance to you that I will stay committed to valuing what you do for us. Amen. First Samuel chapter 14 and verse 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. Now all the people of the land came to a forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods... There was the honey dripping, but no one put his hand to his mouth for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore, he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand, dipped it in a honeycomb and put, a, put his hand to his mouth and his countenance brightened. Then one of the people said, your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. 
But Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance has brightened. My perspective has changed because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found. For now, would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? The sweetness of spoils. Every one has a battle and everyone has a struggle. And even throughout the word of God, we see that there were many battles fought and many wars won, some lost. And we've been talking about winning within. And I want to talk today about the wins and the victories that sometimes we don't recognize and our response to those wins. And what we find here initially, and we've already read the verse, it says that the people were in distress in verse 24. They were in distress that day. That day they were in distress. Why? For Saul had placed an oath, a burden, if you will, a restriction. Do not eat any food until I have vengeance on my enemies. And many of us are like Saul. And if you won't admit it, I will. I'm one of the worst uh, celebrators in the world. Today is my birthday. I turned 35 years old today, not 40 or 42 or 57, as you may have heard. I am 35. That's old enough. (laughs) Do I look that bad? My gosh. This gray hair is your fault, people. It is your fault. And I, you know, my wife has been asking me all week long, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And, um... You know, I, that's, I, I said, I just want to spend time with the family. We have, you have, you know, we could go do this and we could go do that. It's like, what do y'all want to do? This isn't, it's not about, I, you know, I, I'm just, I'm the worst at that. My wife is the greatest at that. And that's why we are a, a, a great match because uh, Camden would never celebrate a birthday. He would think he's still one today. Uh, but my wife will jump on Pinterest and she's going to theme it out, man. And, and she's going to have uh, uh, Ninja Turtle cupcakes and Captain America uh, birthday cake. And, and she's going to have costumes for every kid. You know, I, I told my wife, I said, I don't think I want to coach baseball anymore. Not because I don't enjoy coaching it, but I hate helping you with the parties at the end of the year. Why can't we just take them to the mill, give them 15 tokens and say, hey, Thanks for playing this year. Awesome. She wants to, the, 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 the uh, county already gives them these medals, and she wants to order trophies with their names on them. And, and I'm like, and, and we tell Camden, because here's the thing. This year, we had a phenomenal team, incredible team in baseball this year, the, the best year I've ever had coaching. And, and I have no problem saying that because the kids just showed out. Uh, they did phenomenal. Uh, and all year long, we're just blowing out the other teams. And let me remind you, we are non-competitive. Uh, there are no, there, <laughs> there is no score. Um, and, and apparently, apparently, there are no rules. Uh, uh, so we're teaching our kids all year long how you're supposed to play. 
and we tell them. And, and the, the rules of the game, the actual rules of the game is the inning turns over if you get three outs or the other team scores five runs. That's the rules. Well, every single game we show up and all these coaches and all these uh, uh, umpires that are supposed to be following the rules say, uh, you, you know, we, we want our team to bat all the way through the lineup. Uh, no, no, we're not doing that. We have taught our kids to get three outs. And so they're going to work their tail off to get three outs. And we tell them one more out and you go in and we bet. Those are the rules. I didn't make them up. It's already as non-competitive as it can get. I mean, there's no score, man. I mean, we're not even. So our kids, they wanted to keep score. And of course they want to keep score when they're winning. But then we get to the last game of the season. We get to the last game of the season, and we play the Orioles. And the Orioles are good. And the Orioles gave us a run for our money. And they beat us in a non-competitive game with no score. They beat us. Because we told our kids, if you're going to keep scoring the other ones where you're trouncing everybody, you're going to keep scoring the one where you get beat or it's close. It works both ways. We have to recognize that these battles and these wars work both ways. But, but, but if you're anything like me, I don't celebrate victories. And even in the victories, I will jump to the stuff that I did wrong. It's just how I was raised. It's just always been my mentality. I was listening to another preacher preach along this same line, the same subject a little bit, and he was saying that he took up a sport and uh, he had a trainer. It was the game of tennis and he had a trainer training him. And uh, this trainer began to notice over time that he only made noise when he did something wrong. He yelled or he screamed or he, you know, tossed his racket or whatever. But anytime he did something right, he was quiet. Even if the trainer tried to compliment him. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a dangerous way to live. And we've been talking for several weeks about winning within. We've been talking for several weeks about the wars and the battles and the struggles and the trials that we face. But I believe here in, in closing and wrapping this thing up that it's, it's how we celebrate the victories that determines if we have another one. And here we see in verse 24, it says, The men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening. And I have to, uh, I have to tell you, i got to be honest, I relate to Saul here. Because even though I've come out of one victory, I still see the challenge up ahead. And, and, and rather than, than celebrate what just happened, I want to move on and start working on what's next. But the problem is, is if we back up one more verse to verse 23, we find out something. We find out that it says the Lord saved Israel that day. The Lord saved Israel that day. I said the Lord saved Israel. We should be rejoicing. We should be celebrating. 
We should be thankful for the deliverance that we've just seen. The Lord delivered us. We should be excited about what God just did in our lives. Come on. He just sets you free. You've been made new in him. You've been brought out of darkness into life. We should be excited. We should be able to celebrate this moment. But instead, King Saul puts them under an oath and says, no one move. You're not doing anything until we win this battle. The next battle. And many times God's deliverance can feel like distress. Many times... Deliverance will come disguised as defeat. And our incorrect view and our incorrect perspective of how God is moving and operating in our lives is depleting us of the strength that we need for the next battle. And so many times I've done this. And I'm trying to be more intentional and I'm trying to do better in my family and and even in our church and and even in my own life in the areas that I'm growing and progressing in. I'm trying to work. I'm just being transparent with you today on on taking a moment to celebrate what God has done. And to be thankful and grateful. I'm telling you, there are people in this room. You won't let yourself win. I mean, if we sat down for 10 minutes, you would only tell me of your struggles. You wouldn't tell me of, of how you got the laundry done this week. You would, you would talk to me about the piles of laundry and the kids that pile it up. And as soon as I get it put away, the kids throw it right back out. And here it is again. I find myself, I, I love to get things for Camden, but I hate to get things One day that I end up stepping on and nearly breaking my ankles on the next day. Anybody with me? So I'm going down the aisle seeing ankle breaker, knee buster. I'm going to lose my life on that one. He's going to shoot me in the eye with this. And what is one person's joy is another person's angst. (laughs) How many times do we do this in our life? God delivers us. But yet we're still distressed. We live in this coma of distress, this lifestyle and lifetime. No matter what God does, no matter what victory we accomplish, no matter what we see him do. We're still distressed. We look defeated when we really delivered. Come on. We've been set free. Bought with the precious blood of the lamb. We should not be defeated. We've been delivered. He said, cursed is the man. This is an oath. This is binding. Also there in verse 23, let me highlight this real quick. Because this is where it really, this is what really gets us. This right here in verse 23, it says that the Lord delivered them that day. And then it says, and the battle shifted. And the battle shifted. That's what gets us. That's what gets us. We might have an easier time celebrating the victories if the battles didn't so quickly shift on us. 
Just like what was Robert, what Robert was saying. It always seems that as soon as you overcome one thing, there's something on the backside to steal the victory and the joy from what just took place. Because that's what the enemy wants to do. Because he knows that the joy of the Lord is your strength. So he says, fine, I didn't get you in that last one. I'll just keep you from enjoying the spoils of it. If he can't keep you from winning, he'll keep you from enjoying it and joy it in joy. I see so many believers robbed of joy. And it's no wonder they're depleted to fight the next battle. I'm going to tell you right now that your strength is not in God's faithfulness. Thank God he's faithful. And thank God he comes through for us. And thank God that, that we have this notion. But, but if it doesn't provide joy in your life, you won't have the strength to take on the next battle. And if you're anything like me, you won't allow yourself to get joyful. Because you still, you, 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 you take one step forward, but you still see a hundred more steps you have to go. We do this every New Year's. We have these resolutions and we have these ideas and these notions of things that we want to change. But we do this. When I do this, then I'll rejoice. When I lose 50 pounds, well, what about rejoicing over the first five? And maybe it's the fact that you didn't rejoice over the first, oh, it's just, it's just five pounds. It's nothing. I still have so far to go. That we don't even allow ourselves you may not have saved the money for the car, but you saved a thousand. You've never done that before. You may not have paid off all the debt, but you paid off a hundred. We've got to learn to stop, but this is the problem, and the battle shifted. And this is the problem. The battles can shift. That's not the problem. It's when our faith shifts. Now that's the problem. And if your, your faith is grounded on the battle rather than the victory. See, this is the thing. When the battle shifts, your God doesn't. Two people. Because that, that's how deprived we are. That's how depleted we are of, of, of even recognizing that my battle may have shifted, but I didn't. God is in, in, in heaven saying, your battle may have shifted. You may have moved on to the next thing. There may still be some challenges, but guess what? I'm still right here. I haven't gone anywhere. And the same God that brought the past victory will bring the future victory. And if you could just take a look at me rather than looking at the problem, you'll recognize that you can overcome any challenge that comes up. But this is, this is the challenge that as soon as God brings us through one trial, we immediately begin to focus our eyes on the next. Your battle may have shifted, but your God doesn't. Our victories should not define our expectation. Your God does. Victories do not define your expectation. Your God does. And when we're only happy when we're victorious, then we're missing out on what is really sustaining us in the midst of the trials. 
We need to identify what victory really looks like. For some of us, victory is just the fact that you made it here today. But yet you'll walk in here and you'll compare yourself with everybody else putting on their Sunday space and feel lost and defeated. We'll walk in here feeling like it's just a moral victory to even make it to church. But you look at someone else that's singing on stage or rejoicing or someone that's wearing a certain t-shirt and immediately what was a victory becomes defeat. I'm never going to have family like that. Never going to have. I mean, we talk about it all the time that what you see, what you see here is not what you get. It's not the reality. Do you know the threats that took place in that minivan on the way here that to get the kids to even look like the way that they do? I mean, if you ever see Camden wiping his eyes with tears walking in here, it's not tears of joy. I'm just so excited to be at church, my gosh. No, it's tears, real tears for real reasons because real threats were made. I'm just being honest with you. Just being real. <laughs> Hallelujah. We've got to learn to celebrate our victories. Cursed is the man who eats any food. Food. It says none of the people tasted food. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. Even in your victories, he wants to deplete you of the thing that provides you strength. It says that King Saul bound them to an oath, bound them, bound them, made an oath, a restriction, a bondage, bondage. And you, you, you go on down and we find that all the people of the land came to a forest and there was honey on the ground. Something sweet. Honey's on the ground. Should take a lesson from my son. It's okay to eat dessert first. Something sweet. And they come to this forest and there's honey on the ground. And when the people came into the woods, there was honey dripping. But no one put his hand to his mouth. Why? For people feared the oath because of fear. Some of us are afraid to celebrate because we think in the midst of our celebration, the enemy's going to come in and overtake us. They feared. We're talking about a delivered people. The battle has shifted. But we should be in this scenario saying, man, guys, did you see what God did, he just delivered us. If he delivered us in that one, he can deliver us at Beth Avon too. But no, there's fear because of this oath. No one put his hand to his mouth. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore, he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it in a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth. He ate the sweetness. 
He ate the honey. And look what it says. It says that his countenance brightened. One word, one word says that his eyes were opened. I take that to mean that his perspective changed. It's amazing the perspective that you'll get for the next battle when you allow yourself to enjoy the victory of the last one. It's amazing the perspective that you'll have about what God is trying to do in the battles coming up. When we allow ourselves to enjoy the victory of what God just did. And so when we deplete ourselves and we deprive ourselves. And I heard someone say one time that for many of us, deprivation comes disguised as discipline. When they said that, that hit me. Because I would say that. No, you don't need to celebrate. You got you to stay we got to train. We got to work hard. We got to keep working toward. We're not there. We don't. We have the goal. But deprivation comes disguised as discipline. Depriving yourself of the very strength that you need to make it to the next. It said that the people were faint. The people were weary. The people were distressed. And when you're in that moment, you need to be able to latch on to something that will give you joy. You need to be able to latch on to what God just did. You need to be able to celebrate. You need to be able to allow yourself to recognize I am an overcomer and I am victorious. I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. That's what's the, that's what's the exciting thing. Because many of you probably look at me and say, I haven't had a battle in five months. I, 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 haven't had a, I haven't won a battle in five years. I haven't had a victory in ten years. If you only knew. But here's the thing. This is, this is the great news. Jesus already got you the victory. If you're not fighting for victory, you're fighting from victory. You've already got the victory. You've already got the And if we could fight knowing that, if we could rejoice in just that, I may not see it in fruition, and it may not have manifested naturally, but I already am an overcomer. I have already overcome. I am more than a conqueror. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. So while one person is highlighting all the, up, all the weapons, the other person is highlighting all the victory. Because every weapon that is formed just means another victory. But we don't stand on that. We deprive ourselves of these moments. And it's the gratitude and it's the celebrating that feeds our strength for the next battle. We are, we are depriving ourselves and we're depleting the sustenance that God has provided so that we can continue winning. We can continue overcoming. And this is the thing. When you don't allow yourself to enjoy the sweetness of spoils, you will feed on the bitterness of bondage. When you don't allow yourself to enjoy the sweetness of spoils, you will feed on the bitterness of bondage. Anyone that knows me knows that I like to eat whatever I want. Don't bring your gluten-free. Don't bring your oils. Don't, don't bring your nuts and your crackers and your hummus. Give me some Sour Patch Kids and a Dr. Pepper, and I'm fine. Leave me alone. 
And it's amazing the things that we will, the tastes that we will acquire. For whatever your motivation is, whether it's to be healthier, whether it's to be drunk and rid your day of all, all your problems, you'll acquire a taste for stuff that is disgusting. And Paul, or uh, Saul, Saul, King Saul, in this passage, had gotten his people so acquired to the taste of bitterness. Why is he bitter? Why is he bitter? Because if you go back one chapter, he disobeyed God, and the prophet had to tell him, uh, you're not going to remain king. So now he's putting all his bitterness on his troops. Now he's bitter, and he's angry. And now he's trying to prove to God that he can do it. Watch me. I'll get all these victories. Watch me. Nobody's going to eat until I get my vengeance. Nobody's going to touch a thing. You you are going to be bound and you will be cursed if you eat anything before I get what I want. And sometimes that's what we do is we project our bitterness onto other people. They're trying to help us. They're trying to bring us out. But we have gotten so acquired to the taste of bitterness that we won't even allow ourselves to enjoy something sweet. I'm hoping that the silence today is because this stuff is deeply registering with your soul. We can't allow... Bitterness to rob us of the sweetness. We can't allow the bitterness of our bondage to rob us from the sweetness of the spoils that God is trying to bring us. And it says that when Jonathan ate the sweetness, the honey, his countenance changed. I'm telling you today that your countenance will change. Your countenance would change. Your perspective of your future will change when you focus on God's victories in your past. Worship team, if you'd come. Your perspective of your future will change when you focus on God's victories in your past. Some of us are fearful of the next battle. That's why we don't want the battle to shift. That's why we, 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 our countenance falls. And that's why we become so discontent with life. Distressed and living defeated in the midst of victory. And this is the thing. This is the whole reason why I started this series. Because Easter... It's such a wonderful time. Easter is such a powerful time for us. As a church, we, we, we've adopted this term. It's Super Bowl Sunday. And we pack out our churches on Easter Sunday. Victory. Our Savior, our King, our Lord, our God was buried in a grave and three days later he comes back alive. And because of him returning back alive, because of Jesus being raised up, now we can be raised up with him seated in heavenly places. But is it possible that we as believers have so bound ourselves to bitterness that we can't even enjoy the sweetness of the spoil? 
Is it possible? Is it possible that we could be so bound in so much bondage, even though we're victorious, we live defeated? Or at least we look defeated. I want to read this. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You skip up ahead to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. I'm telling you that you will have moments of distress. I'm telling you that you will come through victories and the battles will shift. The battles will shift. I said the battles will shift. You'll enjoy victory one day. And possibly even in the same day, deliverance will become distress. The roller coaster. But we all have a responsibility. Everyone say responsibility. Come on, say responsibility. Responsibility is just the ability to respond. It's the ability to respond in First Samuel chapter 30. Verse 1, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. They've just been, they've just lost everything that they had. They came and attacked. And then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam and Abigail, had been taken captive. Now watch this, verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed. Now David was greatly distressed. Now David was greatly distressed. He's distressed. Do you see that? He's distressed. This is stressful. This is distressing. This is defeat. This isn't victory. He's greatly distressed. Because the people spoke of stoning him. Those that were once with him are now against him. Because the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions of all the people were grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. That's so many times when we end up in distress, we attack the very thing that is helping us. We cry out, we say, God, why did you do this? God, why is this happening to me? What is this season? All You turn your back against and you attack the very one that has led you through all the battles before. These people had fought many battles with David. But now because it's been made home, it's been made personal, it's brought home now. Well, that's my son. That's, you can take my life, but you can't take my son. That, you can take me. You can cut my head off, but don't touch my wife. Don't touch my stuff. And now their souls are grieved. And now David is greatly distressed 
because they are speaking of stoning him. But here it is. But David, but David, but David, come on, somebody get it. But David, but David, but David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. How did he strengthen? He took the sweetness of the spoils. He began to reflect on the joy of the Lord is my strength. I don't need a joyful situation to have a joyful countenance. I'm going to keep my perspective on my future, not on my past. My God is still with me. What did he say? Psalm chapter 25. Psalm chapter 25. Come on, you've got to get this today because some of you aren't even letting yourselves win. You've been winning. You've been progressing. You've been advancing. But you won't even let yourself grow. You won't let yourself develop. You, all you look at is all the mess around you rather than the miracles that are happening in the midst of the mundane, in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the routine. Psalm chapter 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. This, scholars believe, is what he prayed, what he's saying, whatever you want to call it. This is a result of what we just read. David strengthened himself in the Lord. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. This is what he's saying in the midst of distress. The Psalms weren't written as a result of praise. If you're waiting on a moment to praise, if you're waiting on a moment to worship, you'll never get it. You praise when you don't feel like it. It's a sacrifice of praise. Come on. He's saying, show me your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. Only on you I will wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, now, uh, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice. The humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. That's hard to say. That's hard to say in the midst of distress. People have rocks ready to pummel you. And you're saying all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenants and testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain. Forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many. They hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul. Deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness 
preserve me, for I wait for you. Then watch this. This is amazing. He says, redeem Israel, redeem Israel, redeem Israel, oh God, out of all their troubles. They're the ones that have the rocks ready to throw at me. Redeem them. Set them free. He is talking not just about himself. He's talking about those that are with him. Come on. So many times in moments of distress, we only think about ourselves. And he's saying, this is bigger than me. This is about my purpose. This is about my destiny. This is about my nation. I am a king. I've been called to lead these people out by your hand. Why? Why? Why wait? That's my question to you today. Stand up with me. Why wait? Why wait to get the victory? To praise Him. Why wait to see the overcoming? To lift your hands in the air. Why wait? What are you waiting for? 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 What are we waiting for? We are victorious. is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. My question to you today is how? Not what, not what battle, not even why battle. Why God, why is this happening? Why is this taking place? Why was that taken from me? Why was that added to me? How? Sing it. This is how. This is how I fight my battles. Come on, sing it. If you're in a battle, this is for you. This is how I fight my battles. Come on, are you fighting today? Are you fighting today? This is how. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. 